Hello, Kenyon Murray. How are you doing? I'm doing good, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, thank you very much for joining me on my Living Undeterred podcast. Um, I'm super, super excited about this conversation you and I are going to have. Yeah, absolutely, man. We've been talking a lot the last uh, few months. So <laughs> Months? I, yeah. Knowing you and I, I'm not sure where we're going to end up. <laughs> um, I uh, Again, thanks for doing this. I, when I put together this idea, my goal was to try to bring like-minded people together that have kind of a living undeterred mindset. And, you know, you and I go back a long, long ways. Yeah. Uh, and the interesting dynamic today is that, you know, I look at you as a friend first, an ex-Iowa basketball player second. And yeah. I think most people, most people know you probably, that know, don't know you that well, see the Kenyon Murray, the, the basketball guy. But I, I see Kenyon Murray, the human being. <laughs> <laughs> or you can add uh, Kenyon Murray, the father of Chris and Keegan Murray. That's probably how I'm most known now. So, Yeah, well, I'm, I'm the dad of Ian Johnston, the golfer, so I know what that's like. Yeah, uh, sure. Well, let's do this. I, I have a lot to go through today. Again, thanks for joining me. I think what I'd like to do is maybe for people watching this, again, I, I, the idea is to try to find people that have done things that have been motivational to other people, inspirational, try to tap your, your, your well, uh, what, what drives you, what are some of your passions. But I think before we get that far ahead of ourselves, uh, from my background, my dad, David Johnston, was the team doctor for the Iowa basketball team back when I think Lute Olson was in his, I don't know, second or third year, he asked um, my dad to be uh, sit behind the bench, actually, at the old field house. And then from there, you know, uh, Raveling, Dr. Tom, Alford, and then uh, Fran. But my dad retired, oh boy, it's been, it's been a few years ago. But that's how I met you, was through my dad, actually, all the Iowa basketball players over all the years I got to know real well. So it's been a it's been a great thing being able to be a Hawkeye fan and actually know what you guys are like, that you're not robots. You guys laugh, cry, and have good and bad moments like all of us. But why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience at Iowa, maybe maybe a little bit uh, your background from Battle Creek, Michigan, back in the, the days, back in high school. and How, how the heck you ended up in, in the cornfields of, uh, of Iowa from, from Battle Creek, Michigan? Yeah, well, uh, you know, obviously my time in Iowa was great because I've never left. Um, and that was really one of the big reasons why I chose to come to the University of Iowa was just the fact that, you know, people really took an interest in you, not only as an athlete, but as a person. Um, when I committed, I got all kinds of like fan mail and stuff like that from people here in Iowa, which was crazy. Um, I, get, I would get called down to the high school office and they're like, hey, you got all this mail. And it would just be fan letters, just people excited about me coming to Iowa to play. Um, really not knowing anything about me but what they read. And, you know, back then they had to read newspapers and, and magazines to get an idea of right. who players were. And so for me it was um, one of those things where I always wanted to play in the Big Ten. I actually grew up wanting to play for the University of Michigan, um, but obviously things didn't work out that way. They were one of my final choices. But coming to Iowa was the best decision I made, not only as a, a student athlete, but – as I look at where I am today with my wife and family and all the friends and stuff, it was the best decision I made um, in my life uh, attending the University of Iowa. So, and your dad, your dad made sure that uh, I stayed healthy, uh, never missed a game in my <laughs> Iowa career. So uh, he was a big part of that. 
Well, it was uh, a lot of fun to be able to go to the games and see my dad there with John Streif and uh, Dr. Albright and, uh, you know, the, the guys that, that were part of that program, building it up and everything. That was, that was a lot of fun. And I remember so many stories that my dad would tell me, you know, coming home and unloading on some things. And the next day I'd read the paper and like, well, that's not what, that's not what happened. <laughs> you know, I, I know what really, I know what really happened. And so my dad would like, you can't tell anybody at school, you know? So I'd go to school the next day wanting to tell all my friends that I, I know really what happened, you know? And, um, right. but yeah, it, it was, it was great to watch you guys come through the system and, uh, we're, we're happy. Obviously you stayed in Iowa and your root, your roots now are, are uh, entrenched in not only Iowa, but now, or Cedar Rapids, let's say, but the University of Iowa basketball program has uh, two legacy Murrays playing there. So, And they're doing very well right now, so we're everyone's super proud of them. Yeah, absolutely. We are, too. You know, it's uh, Keegan has definitely taken the opportunity that he's had and ran with it. You know, Chris isn't far behind, but when you look at this team going into the season, you knew that we were going to be good. You knew that we were going to be deep, and, and really nobody knew what to expect from the freshmen this year. And, and Keegan has been able to take the minutes that he's got, um, you know, from Coach Fran and has run with it. He's doing a great job. I'm just excited for him and his development uh, because he's embraced his role as a bench player, defensive uh, player, rebounder. Um, we all know he can shoot. You know, I think the, yeah. <laughs> the, the Iowa fans will come to see that very soon. But, yeah, we're, we're very proud. And Chris is grinding, too. He's doing oh, what yeah. he needs to do to stay ready. Um, you know, for him, it's just an opportunity. Um, and, and he knows when his number's called, he'll be ready to go. Well, um, the last game, Keegan had a really good backdoor dunk. And uh, after the game, I texted him and said, you know, Keegan, I taught you that move in second grade. <laughs> I, for those people watching right now, I was honored to coach uh, Chris and Keegan, uh, my son Ian, and then Brock Renner, my business partner, his son Logan. They're they're inseparable best friends, and I was I had the honor of coaching Chris and Keegan in second, third, and fourth grade. And the funny thing is, we'd go to basketball tournaments, and I would put uh, Harrison Cook, who is now at the University of Kentucky. And Chris and Keegan on the wings, we do a one-two-two full court press in third grade. No way! <laughs> it was yeah. twenty-eight nothing before the first time out. Uh, those are fun days. I really enjoyed it. And um, you and I have been business partners. We've been friends. We've been coaches together. We've been laughing together. We've cried together. And I have an inner circle of friends, and I consider you one of those friends of mine, Kenyon. And uh, Hopefully today you and I can talk about some things and maybe some people that are struggling with some things personally, some demons they're trying to, to fight through. Um, you know, I'm a big advocate on substance abuse and addiction issues right now. And um, you were a, a very good mentor to my son, Seth, who died uh, of a heroin overdose. You were right there in the, in the thick of it. Uh, you had coached him, played basketball uh, with him. And um, I know he looked up to you greatly. So... I guess with that, I would like to know, in regards to your past, maybe who has been the biggest mentors for you? Who's been, who's been your strength, your rock? What gave you your motivation when you were, you were younger growing up? Yeah, I think uh, for myself, there, it was a slew of people. But I think because of what I did as an athlete, some of the people that you come closest with are the people that you spend the most time with. And, and growing up, it was my, my high school and AAU coaches. And so for me, for a long time, um, you know, Greg Williams, who I actually just talked to yesterday, uh, Greg mm -hmm. was the assistant coach, uh, not only for my high school team, but for my AAU squad. And 
and Coach Williams would, would drive us everywhere. And, and we had some pretty long drives, so there was a lot of talking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you know, no cell phones or anything like that. So Coach Williams was uh, an ear for me to vent to. He was a mentor for me. Um, he helped develop me as uh, a young man and as a basketball player. He was one of those guys that it didn't matter when you called him. If the gym was available, he'd let you in. And so for him, he's driven us from uh, North, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina to Kingsport, Tennessee, and, you know, all over the Midwest um, just to get the exposure uh, to be able to play at the Division One level. So Coach Coach Williams was a, a huge mentor for me. Um, and, and as I grew uh, at the University of Iowa, you know, I, I really focused on the people that I continue to lean on for advice. And uh, Coach Rich Walker, uh, who you know very well, is oh, yeah. still a mentor of mine. Um, he and uh, his lovely wife, Janet, live in, in uh, Texas now. And, and Coach and I text just about every game. And so Rich has been... Um, one of those people that understood that I was going to make mistakes as a young man, mm-hmm. and he allowed me to make those mistakes. And it's funny now that you look back on it, I always say, Coach, remember when you told me or you didn't tell me to do this and how, you know, what I learned from that lesson. So he knew when to, you know, stop me. You know, he knew when to say, hey, this is not a good idea. But he also understood that I'm going to have to trip and fall to grow as a young man. And, He's continued to mentor me. Uh, he has mentored me through the whole Chris and Keegan going to prep school thing. If it wasn't for him mm-hmm. and Fran, I probably, we probably would have went a different route. But um, Coach Walker was very instrumental because his son, uh, Michael, went to prep school and was able to uh, uh, end up playing at uh, Southern Methodist University in, in Texas. So so really for me, it's been uh, Greg Williams as a kid and, and Rich Walker as an adult that have really helped shape who I am. You know, I, I remember back when uh, I coached Chris and Keegan, and I always thought you did a real, really good job. And it's tough. It's tough when when those two kids uh, have that last name and they have to kind of live up to, to that legacy that, that you had um, planted at the University of Iowa. But they, they were their own, their own two kids, and you always allowed them to be themselves. And um, I remember specifically in a few game situations where – you know, even though they're identical twins, and I could tell, now Chris had white shoes and Keegan wore black shoes, which helped me out a lot, but I could tell, I could tell their mannerisms after a while, I could tell um, how they blocked out, how they passed the ball, uh, and the average person watching, you know, obviously can't tell them apart, um, and, uh, but I will say, you, you guys did a great job in, in letting them flourish their own way in that fishbowl effect that they had um, being a, a legacy child coming from, from, from you. And um, they've done a great job. I'm very happy to see them. And you're right about Chris. I'm waiting for his breakout. He'll get his moment. I mean, you know, he, he's too good to be held back there. He'll, he'll get in and have his chance. So, But um, I guess I wanted to move on to, and I know that you and I have talked at length about, and that's uh, January 19th almost 28 years ago, 1993, um, was a very important day for you personally, Kenyon, and uh, myself as well. My dad was there that day. Why don't you talk a little bit about Chris Street and what Chris meant for you and to you and how you've honored him and 
Uh, and I'll tell you a little bit of background, some things that have happened recently with, with, uh, with me reaching out to Mike as well. Yeah, no, uh, Chris was a big reason for my coming to the University of Iowa. He was my host and I actually got to go to class with him. And funny story real quick is we were in class and it was like an English lit class. And some people may know the story, but the, the professor asked a question and I'm, and I end up being an English major, but, uh, they asked a question and nobody raised their hand. So I, you know, here's this high school senior. I raised my hand <laughs> and, and kind of give my two cents, uh, to what the, the professor had asked. And, and as we were leaving the class that day, Chris was like, dude, well, you can't be embarrassing me like that. You know, you're, you're just a high school senior or whatever. So really <laughs> that was kind of that solidifying moment that he and I really kind of bonded and actually the breakfast, uh, after the breakfast, before I left to go back to Michigan, he said, I'll see you in the fall, won't I? And I was like, yeah. So, so he knew after my visit that I was coming here, but you know, that night, uh, he, he was a, he was a big brother to me. Um, pretty much spent all my time with him. Uh, leading up to the season, he really showed me what it took and how hard I had to work just to get on the floor at Iowa. Um, even coming in that year, we had a veteran team, but I knew I'd have an opportunity to get a lot of minutes if I did what I needed to do in the preseason. And, and so he was a, a big catalyst for that for me and showing me how to grind day in and day out. And, you know, if it wasn't for me, I pro if it wasn't for him, I probably would have been really lost that first semester, but, but he was, he was, he was that big brother who would always put his arm around me. And so he and I really, we bonded that night um, of the accident. We're at a, you know, team dinner and I had actually rode to the restaurant with Chris and, and Kim and James Winters and I, we all rode together, but Chris and Kim had a class they had to get to, which is why they were in the car and James and I weren't. And so, hmm. you know, it was pretty much by the luck of scheduling that I wasn't in that car accident as well and, and, and James. And so who knows what would have happened. But what I take from that is, you know, one thing I did find out, you know, and I think I realized it about two years ago is um, that sat with me more than I knew. And mm -hmm. two years ago, I really had to deal with the fact that I never grieved losing him back then. It was kind of like we had to get back to business, even though we took mm -hmm. time off. Um, I was sitting at Mike and Patty's uh, dinner table. Actually, I stopped by for lunch one day when I was in the area. You know, I, I really broke down. I was like, you know, I, I realized that I've never really grieved his death. And so he, he meant a lot to a lot of people, and he's been honored in so many ways. Um, that was one of the things that kind of hit me a couple of years ago. And I really had to deal with these feelings because at that time, I, I realized, like, I'd been mad at God for so long. You know, because mm -hmm. it's like, you know, we always ask why him or why her. And so for me, uh, it, it kind of came full circle. But it was Mike and Patty that really helped me get past that and, and, and understand it and grieve. And, you know, since then, it's been, you know, obviously uh, I love them, you know, to death. And Mike and Patty still texting stuff all the time. But, yeah, it was uh, it was very traumatic for me. And I just, you know, all these years later, never dealt with it. So. Yeah, I mean, I. um I look at uh, the process of grieving, and again, I've known you for a long time. You and I have had some incredible talks uh, on my porch up here in the summer, having a cigar, just sitting in the deck talking, getting, trying to solve the problems of the universe and things like that. Uh, 
And one thing you've always had is a strong faith. I've always been admiring you for that. You and I uh, don't necessarily uh, subscribe to the same ideology when it comes to uh, faith and the afterlife, things like that. But you and I have always respected each other in our way that we can present our ideas to each other. And I've been, you're on the board of directors with me on my nonprofit. You and I have been in a little coffee group with some some men we've met recently. And one thing I've admired about you is that you have very strong beliefs, but you're not you're not overly overt with them. You're not pushing them down people's throats. And that that just shows the foundation that you have your life on. And maybe Chris's death just added a, a rock-solid foundation for you. Um, and I, you said you were kind of mad at God. I, I can understand that. Um, did you find a way to... I'm not going to say get over it, but you find you have to find a way to have closure on some of these things, or it's just going to torture you. Uh, it seemed like it took a long time. You said just two years ago you kind of came to terms with all this. Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, the one thing that also years ago has happened was the fact that um, I rededicated my life to Christ, and and mm-hmm. with that, there was a lot of things that became clear to me. Um, I didn't really think that I blamed God or I was mad at God. I just didn't understand it. And, you know, having a faith, you know, means a lot of different things like you and I've talked, you know, having faith in certain things or, or feeling like um, things are happening for a reason. And it's never my mm-hmm. place to, to put my faith on anyone else, but just to, to let people know that, you know, I do um, believe uh, in a higher power. And we've talked about that too. What, what oh, yeah. is that higher yeah. power? It, it, right. You know, it's, it's different to different people. So um, for me, it was really during this rededication of my life to Christ that I was able to really put to rest um, some of the thoughts and feelings and doubts that I had that loomed from that day in 93. And it's it's amazing to go that far and not realize that you're holding this, you know, this uh, angst or uh, sadness right. or anger, whatever you want to put it for so long, but it was just kind of through the, you know, rededication of, you know, my life and seeing things differently that really gave me closure. And I think it, it you know, you can't say enough about Mike and Patty and how mm-hmm. they have, uh, kept his spirit alive in so many different ways. And it would have been easy for them to kind of shy away and, and, you know, just grieve and be parents and not have anything to do with the university, but it's actually their, their involvement with the university and the people of Iowa has actually, uh, it's been exponentially grown with what they've done, yeah. uh, over, over all these years. And so for me, I, I, I pull strength from them too, you know, um, just the way they, they talk about Chris and, um, you know, Patty's, she is, oh, she, when I see her, I, like I cry every time I see her just because she hugs her so <laughs> tight. Um, but yeah, uh, that family means more to me than, than anybody will ever know. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's admirable to watch, uh, the evolution of kind of the relationships and so forth. And I look at, in my personal situation, when our oldest son died of a heroin overdose, October 4th, 2016, you know, there wasn't a template out there that says, okay, here's what you do the first day. Here's what you do the next week. Here's, here's the day you get over his death. And it's just like, you just invent stuff as you go and you make up stuff. You just literally try to survive to the next day. And then you bump into people like Mike and Patty. And, you know, I've been dealing with this for four years and they've been dealing it for almost 30 years. And then yesterday I had on my show, Steve Grant, who's a tremendous 
uh, mentor to me, he lost both of his only two boys to heroin overdoses 15 and 20 years ago, uh, Chris and Kelly. And this, even the word overdose was a household name. Now, I at least have people now that I can reach out to, Mike and Patty, Steve Grant. Steve had nobody, and, and Mike and Patty as well. I mean, in 1993, when Chris died, uh, heroin overdoses and opioid overdoses, they, they, weren't, they weren't out there. And um, although Chris wasn't by a car accident, the fact was is that there's always somebody out there that, it's hard to imagine this, always somebody out there that has it as bad or worse than you. And, you know, I watched what Steve Grant has done. And watch what Mike and Patty have done. And now it's my turn. You know, I've been called to that position. I'm, I'm part of a, of a club that I, I did not ask to join. And I can never quit. <laughs> I mean, they cash, they cash my checks every year. You know, I, I don't have a choice. I got to be the member of the deceased child club. And, but I'm trying to wear that honor. I'm trying to wear that badge with honor. And I'm trying to be the best mentor that I can for the next Jeff Johnston that comes up. Or even the next Kenyon Murray that has his best friend pass away from cancer or a car accident. So, you know, people are looking up to you and I and seeing how we deal with these things. And I guess, do you feel, do you feel maybe that's why you put off the grieving process for so long? Maybe there was this additional pressure that everyone just expected you to handle this as an athlete that, you know, you're not human, you're an athlete, you know, you're supposed to be able to handle adversity, Kenyon. Yeah. I, I, you know, in a way I felt at that time I wasn't, mature enough and didn't have the skill set in order to deal with the grieving that needed to be had. You know what I mean? It's like you, you work with I what do. you have. My wife, you know, Michelle and I talk a lot about um, how we grew up and, and how as parents we wanted to do things differently, but we've also figured out that though we looked at kind of how our parents were and, and did certain things, they worked with what they had. And at that mm -hmm. point in time, as a student athlete, I had never dealt with any grief like that. So for me, it was, okay, what do I do to, to at least have some semblance of normalcy? And that was play basketball. It was go to right. class, play basketball. And, and so that's right. what I did. So even though I never forgot Chris, obviously, I never, I, I pushed that part down so far that, like I said, up until a couple of years ago, I had never dealt with it. And there were some other things that, you know, as I look back now and go into counseling that I felt probably um, manifested itself from that. Mm -hmm. Some some good things, some bad things. But um, I don't think I was equipped to deal with it then. And so up until, you know, a couple of years ago, honestly, I, I didn't have the wherewithal or the skill set to deal with it. And, and you know, moving forward, I do. And, and so I think that's a for me, it was just a matter of how do I get back to being a normal student athlete at Iowa? Do you think? And I read a chapter in my book called Golf Saved My Life, and it wasn't me playing golf. You've seen me play golf, and golf, golf didn't save my life. Watching my son, Ian, take on golf as a, as, a, as, a, as a lifestyle was my escape. Do you think basketball saved your life? Yeah, I think so. Um, there were some of my teammates that didn't deal with it as well um, and did some things that uh, you know, in the, if we had social media back then. <laughs> 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 Might have been uh, a little troublesome, but, right. uh, but yeah, you know, um, yeah, I do. I think basketball was that because you, we went out as a team and wanted to perform for Chris. Right. You know, uh, people often talk about I play for so-and-so or I play for this person. And that's really what we were doing. 
the one thing that, that um, even though I didn't deal with it, I always felt like there was, that Chris was looking out for me. You know what I mean? Like right, I always felt like right. I had him with me. And so I think, but, it, but I can't tell you that how many times I would be driving in my car or something or just, just sitting somewhere and wondering if Chris was here, how would my life be different? Because I know it would be, you know what I mean? I knew if he was here, he and I had such a bond that I was, I was one time I remember saying, you know, if he was in this city, I probably would have moved there or I know he would have, he would have had me out turkey hunting at some point, you know, <laughs> that, that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I think for me, I was always like, oh man, what would my life be like? Not really realizing how blessed my life was. Um, obviously I've been blessed with a, with a great wife and, you know, four unbelievable kids and, um, you know, great friends. You know, I think going back to Chris and Keegan, Ian and, and, and Logan, man, you talk about one of the reasons why they are the way they are is because they have very good friends. I mean, they've been friends since AK. Like that's oh, yeah. crazy for me to real, to, uh, to think about. They have been friends since they were like four or five years old. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's bananas, but you know, those four guys would do anything for each other. And it's so funny how, regardless of where they're at, they always come back together. It's like they were never apart. So, you know, for me, um, I, I feel like Chris has always looked out for me. I just kind of embrace his memory and my love for him a little bit differently now. Was it a no-brainer to name your son Chris, uh, even though the spelling's different? Um, yeah. Was was that was that a no-brainer? Yeah, Michelle knew that right away. <laughs> when we, uh, when we started talking, I was like, we have a boy, first boy's Chris, you know, but in the spelling of his name, obviously, you know, people are like, well, it's not spelled the same, but you know what? I wouldn't have spelled it wrong if, if, if Patty, when I called her and told her I was having twins and right. asked her, Hey, I said, you know, Patty, you know, I, I want to honor Chris. Um, I do want to have a little bit of me in the name. So I want to spell it with a K. Is that yeah. okay? And she was like, absolutely. She was like, you know, Christopher, she always says Christopher. She's like, yeah. Christopher would be honored if you named your son after him. And I actually have met a female Christopher. It's his cousin. Was oh, really? Him. Yeah, she's named Christopher, man. It's crazy. But, um, but yeah, no, um, it, w- it was a done deal right off the way. And then, you know, obviously, like I said, I called Patty and Mike and asked for their blessing with the spelling of his name, knowing wholeheartedly uh, who I was naming them after. And they were like, yeah, absolutely. So it, it, it's fun. You know, in, um, in writing my book, uh, this one's for you. I took about a year of my life uh, to write it. And you were a big influence. I, you were one of the first two or three people that read my manuscript. My manuscripts. <laughs> I sent them to you saying, Kenyon, am I going to make anyone mad writing this? And you come back and say, dude, you got to take this, this paragraph out. <laughs> So, and, uh, but no, and so I leaned on my friends to help me, give me some guidance on the book. But recently after the book was done, I, uh, I asked you for Mike, Mike and Patty's address. And, you know, I know Mike and Patty, they probably don't know me. They know millions of people, but I kind of felt I had an immediate bond with them once, once, once we buried our son, uh, again, I joined that unfortunate club. I sent him a book and I wrote a nice two page letter with it, kind of talking about my past with my dad and so forth. And he he sent me back uh, on Facebook a private message and just said, hey, Jeff, you know, I, I know I've met you. I, I didn't know who, really who you I didn't know anything about this story. 
And just in the paragraph or two he wrote me, I could see that that he's going to be a good a good person for me if I if I need to call someone to get talked off a ledge or um, you know which you know I I've, I've had uh, in four years uh, very few times where I've felt like that, but I have, and I know those days aren't. Uh, I know I'll have more challenging days ahead of me, but you know you have people like Mike to go to, and that resource is is nice to have and. Um, I don't know. I just uh, I think that's the relationship that uh, sometimes you kind of just are, are forced into relationships that you you would never otherwise be in. And uh, I know right now, Kenyon, for me being vulnerable and telling my story publicly on all the social media we're doing and the living undeterred kind of idea now, I'm having people reach out to me that, that I never would have met that have lost, you know, not necessarily heroin overdose, but have lost a brother, uh, a son, a, a cousin, a nephew to basically death, and asking how I how was able, how was I able to be living an undeterred lifestyle, and you know I can be honest with you, it's, it, it took a while. I mean, this is year four now that Seth's been gone, and I would say the first three were like you know going downhill, mm-hmm. and then something clicked, something just internally clicked, and. I have to think some of it goes back to the sporting, being a competitive person, you know. Um, you're a competitive person. You dig deep when you have personal adversity. And, and I think being an athlete has helped me deal with my trauma that I've dealt with. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of those things like when you get knocked down, what do you do? As an athlete, if you're a true competitor, if you get knocked down, the only thing you can do is get up and, and keep fighting, you know, as, as a competitor. Um I also think that the three years that you talk about, you know, kind of going downhill yeah. has prepared you for where you're at right now. Um, right. Michelle and I often talk about what, what is, the, what is, why are we here? You know, and we talk about being connected to other people and those three years that you've gone through, I feel have put you in a place where now it's time. It's time for you to connect with other people and to help other people, though you may not, have thought that, you know, you're just trying to figure out how am I going to get up tomorrow? You know, how am I going to live, you know, a life, um, you know, that's meaningful or whatever the questions you had. I think, you know, we all go through trials and tribulations, but I think, like you said, being an athlete, being competitive, it's one of those things that has made you successful in, you know, your business. Uh, You built that from nothing. Um, Like you said, you spent (laughs) – many nights in you know, a car driving from to and fro and not having money. And, and, you know, you oh, built yeah. that on blood, sweat and tears. And that was your competitive nature, you know, um, from when you're a child. And I think it's one of those things that people don't understand if they weren't athletes, it's hard, you know, it's, it's really hard to get people to understand that. But um, I think that it's, it, it truly has helped me. It's helped you. And I think, um, you're, you're, you're in a perfect place and a perfect help other people. And so that's why, you know, whatever you've asked me to do on this, on this project and this journey, you know, I'm more than happy to help. Well, I know one thing you told me that I think helped me with my therapy, I'll call it. Sometimes you're like my therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just don't send me a bill. Uh, I remember you saying something to the effect that, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, that type of a mentality. And, um, and I know, again, going back to your faith, I know that's been a, a very kind of the glue that held together everything in your life. And 
I see a lot of people around me that have dealt with very traumatic things where, where faith has been a big part of it. Um, in, in my situation, I'm not, I'm not on that same plane you're on, but I do believe in ultimately doing the right thing and people can call it whatever they want. The reality is that, that, um, I'm driven now by kind of a purpose where I want to try to help people find their purpose. Mm -hmm. And, and you've said that as well. When I watched you coach, I'm not talking about Chris and Keegan, because you coached a little different with those two than you did say my kids. Um, you were a little harder on Chris and Keegan. Um, but <laughs> hey, I was preparing them for Fran. I was preparing them for Fran. I'm, I'm not sure that's possible. <laughs> and I say that I say that in a flattering way to Coach McCaffrey. Uh, but no, I mean, uh, you know, sometimes you got to be really hard on the people that you love the most. And I can remember conversations I had with you after Seth died, and it was just like, I'm not sure you said it directly like this, but it's like, you know, Jeff, wake up. You're you're 50. I'm 54 now, but. You're 52. You got to go on. With, you got to figure out something to inspire your life. And so, projects like the book and the blog, and now the the podcast, the Living Undeterred podcast. But you know, you've done that with your legacy basketball. You've done that with a lot of things you've done with community outreach. I mean, I see you. I see you actively doing things and, and not necessarily looking for accolades. Um, you know, and that's one of the reasons why I had you be on my nonprofit, the Choices Network Board of Directors, uh, hoping that you and I and the other board members can get the word out about, in my case, it's substance abuse, addiction, and mental health. That's the three things that I'm kind of hanging my hat on. That's the, the calling that I've been thrown into is to learn more about ways that I can help kids deal with these things, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and you, you have, um, McKenna and she's a freshman. Yeah. 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 Right. Cause Roman's a junior. I just remember that growing up with them, they were, <laughs> You know, they were like, to me, almost the same age, but Roman's a junior and Ken is a freshman. But so I, I was asking you some of the things that kids are going through now, uh, because Ian and Roman, I mean, Ian's 19 and the kids today with social media, cell phones and vaping, which is a big problem for kids. That's kind of the new gateway drug. Mm -hmm. um, you know, do you do you have these conversations with McKenna right now? Uh, are these concerns in that age group that you have with her at school with making better choices on things? Yeah, the one thing that, uh, you know, working from home has definitely helped is our relationship. Um, and then, you know, Michelle and Chris and Keegan were in Florida for six months. So McKenna and I got right. really close last year during our eighth grade year. And, and yeah, we, we talk openly about it. We talk about what's going on in school, you know, what our friends are doing, those kind of things. I always wanted to, you know, I didn't, I guess I didn't start out thinking that I would be that parent. Um, but, you know, I'm that parent that wants to know what's going on in that kid's life. And I want, I want to be that parent that my kid feels that they can always come to and talk to, you know, um, when you spend six months riding with 14 year old girls, there's <laughs> in your car, there's a lot of, of things that are, that are talked about that I'm kind of like, Ooh, but, but it has uh, opened up a channel with her where she feels like she can come to Michelle or I and talk to us about anything. Um, but part of that, is also who she hangs around and she surrounds herself with good people. Like I was talking about Chris Keegan, Logan and Ian, all four mm -hmm. of those boys are good boys. You know what I mean? And so as a parent, when you, when you see the kind of people that they're hanging around and, and are a big part of their life, it, it makes a difference. But yeah, we talk about it. McKenna is very open with, she sees this, she sees that this person's doing this, this person's doing that. I don't associate here or there. 
um, you know, she, she, she's aware of it, um, from the standpoint of she always wants to, I guess, do what's right. Like you said, and, mm -hmm. um, part of it is just being open and honest. And I, you know, she's probably noticed the change in me more in the last two years than I thought. Cause she said to me about a month ago, she's like, dad, you were so much happier now than you were a couple of years ago. Like, and I am, and part of it is just kind of dealing with the muckety muck that I had <laughs> pushed down for so many years. Well, I think, uh, Chris and Keegan finding a home probably helped you as well. Uh, I know when, when Ian was going through the recruiting for division one golf, Man, it was it was tough. I mean, any parent has to go through that is tough. And once they find a home, you're like, wow, you know, it, it takes a big weight off the shoulders uh, because I know that uh, you deep down knew what level they were at, but it just nothing was really happening there for a while. No. And and now look at them, you know, there were they, it's home for them, you know. And I kind of feel that way with Ian at South Dakota. I mean. We had lots of opportunities to, to do some different things, but never really where he really wanted to be. And then South Dakota kind of just fell into our lap. And he's he's been very happy out there, even though golf is just – I just got an email today. They canceled their first tournament already for February. It's just been a it's been a nightmare for any kid going through sport – for any anybody in general. But right. specifically, specifically sports, it's very tough right now. And kids just have to be patient. they got to live undeterred. Keep working out, eating healthy, stay positive, because we will get back to some sense of normalcy soon, I hope. Uh, or, you know, that's going to be unfortunate for these opportunities for these kids not to be there. Yeah, I think, you know, and, and, and what they need to be, they need to take this time to better themselves, whether, like you said, it's with their nutrition right. and their strength training or, or their skill set, their academics. Um, that's the one thing, like this year, Michelle and I look back on it and we're like, okay, we did a lot this year to better ourselves, you know, and I think it gave us all the time to look and pause, slow down. And I think, you know, for you, this year has been a lightning rod for what you're doing right now. And oh, think absolutely. About it, if we didn't have COVID, you might not be right. where you're at right now. So I think uh, if, if people didn't take advantage of kind of the slow down to better themselves, whether it's through reading or, working on another skill set or like you do different, doing different projects. I think they wasted the year, but for athletes, like you said, it's, it's having that mentality of how can I become better through all this crap that's going on? There's gotta be a silver lining in it. And I think, you know, just speaking to you, the silver lining was being able to do the book was being able to put these different social media things together to start going down that journey. Like you said of helping other people help them find their, their, you know, they're what am I here for or to help people get through the loss of a child or a loss of a loved one. So, um, you know, I'm proud of you. I, I've said it many times that I'm proud of what you're doing. It takes, um, it takes a lot of, uh, stick to itiveness, a lot of guts. Um, I know you've had some, some good days and bad days, but I'm excited to see, um, what you do with this because I know you're going to touch a lot of people. The biggest fear for me, and I, I'm going to actually, my next blog next week, is called my addiction to being vulnerable. Mm. And I am concerned that I'm turning into that guy that walks into a room and everyone runs to the corner because all I'm going to do is talk about talk about my son who died of a heroin overdose and talk about my book and talk about the book. It's like I need to kind of figure out a way to make sure I have balance in my life because I, I do see me literally getting up 
and I just get head into reading books about substance abuse or addiction or something where it's, you know, a deep thinking type, philosophical type book. And I'm like, you know, I enjoy it. I like it. But I have to be very cognizant that not everybody wants to hear my story and my journey 24-7. And so there becomes a time when I have to kind of pull back and uh, get back into some doing some different things. Because I am I'm a little concerned that this is becoming... An obsession for me. Yeah. Uh, well, we with, talked about with that. ADD. Yeah. Yeah, I know, I know. But you know, it's like it's like when you're playing sports and you're obsessed with your sport, you know, or whatever you're doing. You get into lifting weights or, or running or eating. You know, there's there's positive addictions that we talk about with the boys a lot. And there's also negative addictions. Now, I was going to ask you, kind of jump into a different topic. If you wouldn't have got into basketball, what would Kenyon Murray be doing right now? Oh man. Um <laughs> interesting. I probably if I was not an athlete, if I did not become an athlete in high school, I probably would be a teacher and and uh probably still playing classical viola at this point because I was that was one of the That's what it was. I was trying to remember what it was. It was a viola. Yeah, yeah. I uh, started playing in right around the fourth grade and start took private lessons. I think I was first chair from fifth grade all the way through uh, my sophomore year in high school. Uh, but basketball got a little bit more serious when I got up there, and <laughs> I had the conversation with my mom. Uh, mom, I don't know if I can get a scholarship playing a viola, but I think I can get one playing <laughs> basketball. So. You know, I think uh, you made a pretty good. I don't know how good you were at the viola, but I think you made a pretty good choice. Man, my mom still brings it up. She's like, "I wish you would have never stopped playing." Um, so I knew I, that. Probably what, the, what the heck's a, what? What is a viola? What's it look like? So it looks just like a violin. You you hold it underneath your chin the same way, but it just it's a little bit bigger, so it has a little bit deeper okay. voice than. Okay. You know, it has lower octaves than the violin, um, and I and I love classical music, uh, Beethoven, Mozart. Those were you know two of the ones where. Whenever we had competitions, we had to select our music, and those were some that I, I chose. So, yeah, I'd probably be teaching. Um, I probably wouldn't be teaching music, but I'd probably still be playing it. So, When's the last time you played one? Oh, sophomore year in high school was the last time. And <laughs> actually, they were so – they were hurting so bad for viola players. Uh, the orchestra director came to me before my senior year and asked me if I would come back and play. And I'm like, Mr. – Mr. Tideswell, I still remember it. I can't can't do it, man. I'm, I'm too busy doing everything else. So, uh, yeah, that's probably what I'd be doing if I had never played basketball. I was just curious because, <laughs> like I said, I, I I know you on a little bit different level than most of the people watching this right now, and yeah. uh, and and I, I that's a neat thing that I like about the relationship that our boys have with your boys and, and McKenna too is that they don't look at Chris and Keegan as the Iowa basketball players. I mean, it's like the other day I think. I don't know what it was. One of them had a, a very good game. And I said, Ian, you know, Keegan had nine points or something. He's, oh, that's cool. I said, did you watch the game? He said, yeah, I watched the second half. You know, and then Keegan, Keegan texted him about shoes or something about some, some game they're playing at, you know, two in the morning on their, and they weren't even talking basketball. And I'm like, nope. and that, that, that's the special bond they have is that they're, they're not, they're not liking each other for that reason, you know, and um, right. that, that'll, that'll be with them for the rest of their lives. Those guys will all be, should be should be good friends for a long time, I would think. And yeah, um, absolutely. But I think too, you know, they, you know, Ian, obviously, you know, the golf thing. He's that's gotten to him where it's at, and Chris and Keegan playing basketball. But I think the one thing that um, we all had 
was that uh, they have balance, you know. Um, right. When they're together, they don't talk about golf or basketball. They just right. hang out, right. you know. Um, right. They probably get together and talk about Logan a little bit more than they <laughs> they probably want to. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, you know, you know, Logan is Logan is the character in the group, but um, – but I think the one thing Logan, that Logan's Logan, yeah, yeah. But you know, they they have they have balance with each other. You know, they right. know their friendship is about their friendship. It's not about that Chris and Keegan play for Iowa or you know, Keegan's a golfer, or whatever. It's so genuine, and I think that's the one thing that you know for you and I is true too. Like you can be honest with me, I can be honest with you, and I think that's one of the things too that we look for is is just that genuineness in people. So as you talk about. You don't want to be that guy. Um, the people that just focus on this, like just like the facts of your story, you know, I think they're missing something because there's more to it than that. There's, you know, there, there's a whole story that you're not able to tell when you get up and talk to people either. There's an emotional story that needs to be told. And I think if people just focus on, well, that's the guy that's going to talk about his son who died of a heroin overdose. They're missing everything that you're about. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's the bigger right. thing for me is too many people, they hear things and they don't listen. And I think it's when we listen is when we open up all these doors to bettering ourselves as human beings. And so, you know, like I said, you know, many times I think what you're doing is phenomenal and um, we need to be talked off the ledge. You know, I'm your guy. Well, I've, I've called you more than once. It, you know, I... I talk about this in the book that there was a game when Seth was a freshman uh, at Prairie City High. You were coaching, and Seth hit the game-winning shot. And I remember sitting up in the stands with a handful of us. I think uh, Logan was taping or something, and because it videotaping. And you know, Seth never played varsity basketball. He actually, I think that sophomore year, he ended up quitting basketball, and that's when he's his addiction to Adderall and alcohol and drugs took over. But I remember that moment. And the other day I came across the videotape in my safe and I, I can't watch it. Um, I haven't found the courage yet to watch it. And um, I'll be honest with you, I still have not seen a videotape of Seth since he's died. And I've seen many pictures, and obviously he's on the cover of my book, but I can't tell you why. I, 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 I want to pull it out and put it, in, well, it's, it's in a VHS anyway, so I'm going to have to convert it. I got the DVD, but... though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you do? Yeah, yeah. It is, it is DVD, that's right, because my, my high school tapes are VHS. Sorry, I got all confused. But, <laughs> um, but no, it's like, I want to watch it, but... I don't. Um, and I know I talk to other dads and moms that have lost children and, and they can, they can watch videotapes of their kids. And I, I can write a damn book about them, but I can't watch a videotape right now. And I just, I'm not ready yet. And I don't have a lot of tears left to cry anymore about that. So I don't know. I, I maybe I'm at, I'm throwing that out as you, you, you talk me into help me put that DVD in or DVR in and watch it some night. Um, no, I think it's, and they get ready for me to cry on your shoulder all night. Yeah, no, I think, I think part of it too is he has, he has so much potential. I think that's some of the times we look at, cause I remember him, he was a good player. 
He was, he was a good player. Mm -hmm. He loved basketball. And I know he did. You know, it was, it was sometimes he didn't do the right things in practice to warrant more time. But I remember drawing up that play because we ran it for him. You know, we're like, we got two options, and he was one of them, and he's the one that ended up catching it and, and making that three. And I think one of the things that would make it tough is, you know, as parents, we always see the potential of our children. And when something kind of, you know, cuts it off or, or they go down a path that we wouldn't envision for them, um, you know, probably when he was going down there, there were times where you're really mad, you know, and, and just, mm -hmm. you know, you're – You've got so much potential. You can do this. You can do that. And, you know, we we get upset or sad because we feel like people don't reach their potential. And it's not on us to act out their lives. You know, it's on them. And I think part right. of it is giving up. You know, we, we have to give up some of that. And it's hard as a parent to say, okay, we're going to let our kids make these mistakes. But, you know, I would just put it to, you know, it was such a, it was such a, a happy moment for you. I remember you, you probably, you remember exactly what you were thinking and what you were feeling when oh, you yeah. did it. Oh yeah. And it was so much jubilation. And now at, when you talk about him, you know, we, you know, obviously it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a good thing. You know, when you talk about how he passed and for me, I was like, if, if it would, if I just, you know, I, the kid had a ton of potential. And I think that's the thing that probably may eat at you a little bit more and really tug on your heartstrings is like, Man, you know, he was a good looking kid. You know, he was, he was inquisitive. He was smart. He was phenomenal on the guitar, teaching himself how to play the guitar. You know, he I was. mean, there's just so, he, he just yep. he had so many talents, but how many stories are like that? People that talk about other right. people that were really talented, but they, their journey went one way or the other because of a bad choice. And I think we, we live with that as parents. Like what could I have done differently? And so don't look and I back think you me. just I think you just hit the nail on the head of what, what what drives me is is I am at a stage in my life where I'm trying to understand why and that particular evening that he decided that heroin was going to be an option that had any potential benefit other than death. I mean, there's other ways to get high, there's other ways to get drunk, there's there's other ways to get that rush. And um, based on the needle marks that they found on him, he'd probably been using less than a week is what the guess is. But, you know, heroin today, fentanyl, you could put a, a drop on, on a coin and that's enough to kill you. And so he never got a reset button. And, you know, when you and I were growing up, you know, you maybe stole a couple beers out of your dad's refrigerator in the garage, went out in the backwoods and got drunk with your friends. And it was like eight of you had two beers and... You know, we all got drunk, but but we never died. Right. You know, nobody nobody died. Not now, it's just instantaneously your life can end with with one bad choice. And so, where I'm with this with this whole journey for me is obviously it wasn't one bad choice. It was a series of eight years of bad choices, and it was if it wasn't that day, it would have been another day. But what can I do to tell my story to help the next kid or the next mom and dad that has a child that's 15 or 16 that's starting to talk back to them and steal iPads and steal things and sell them for drugs and come home late and get the, get their first drunk driving and skip a class at school. These are all red flags that we went through. Yeah. And when reading the book, you can, you know, Seth even spent time in prison before he died. Um, and ironically he got out early and I think within two months of getting out of prison, he was dead. 
And I've also, I've always thought that if, and I can't obviously blame my lawyer because my lawyer did his job. Mm -hmm. But when I got that call with my wife down in Florida, that Seth got out of jail, I turned to her and I said, this, this is not a good thing because he had a, head, a place to sleep, food. He looked good. He was buff when he got out of prison. And just within, you know, a month, he was pulled back into the allure of addictions and substance abuse and then subsequently was gone. So, you know, I guess my purpose is to try to figure out why Seth did that. Mm -hmm. I, I know, I know I never will, but I'm such an inquisitive mind that I want to stay open on any opportunities that I can learn. Yeah. So that's where I got into philosophy and, and spirituality and meditation and all these things that have taken me to a higher, higher realm that I was before. But I know, in, I know in my heart, Kenyon, I, I'm not going to one day wake up and say, all right, I got it. Right. <laughs> I figured it out. Right. It's not going to happen. It's, it's a lifelong journey for me. And so, you know, you've been kind of drug into it as a friend of mine. Uh, and, and you've been a tremendous, you know, guide for me because you have, you do have strong faith. And I've leaned on that uh, at times. Uh, I've had to play that card uh, from you and, and, and you're, um, and I have some other friends too that have been through similar things with me and, uh, they, they, they have different ways to deal with it. And, and for me, that's, that's my path I'm on and, and I don't know where it's going to end. Uh, but I know, I, I know why I'm doing what I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, like you were asking about what to say to a parent, you know, there's, there's a buildup, like you're saying, it was, it was a course of eight years that led to that. Um, but it starts with communication. You know, I think we, and, and you've done that with Ian and Roman, obviously, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but you've done that with, with Ian and, and Roman as far as being a better communicator. And I think that's what kids want. Mm -hmm. They just, they, they want to be able to talk to their parents, not be judged by their parents. Um, and I think it, it gives us pause too as parents, like, okay, what are we doing wrong that we can't communicate with our kids? But I think that is right. where it has to start. If anyone's having issues with their kids, it's how can we get on a, a on a on the same plane when it when it comes to what we're talking about, um, and I think if you can do that as a parent, uh, you can turn things around. But it, but it, but you have to be met halfway by the kids as well. You know, uh, again, full disclosure, you're a, a board member of my nonprofit, the Choices Network, and I remember a few months ago we had Sam Gary on, who I write about Sam in my book about his coming out at age 17, I think it was, with suicidal ideation. And and Ian met Sam through golf. And the reason I'm bringing this up is there's so many kids out there that the parents are so oblivious to the pain that they're harboring, the the, the, the expectations that the parents set. You know, hey, you've got a C on the test. And parents never got a C, and they hear about that. And I think... I think in a way, the communication, the conversations that we need to have with kids is what's going to save them from the ultimate failure is suicide. And whatever it takes, uh, even if you have to be judgmental to your kid or talk condescending to them or do what you got to do, but the worst possible outcome is suicide. There is no reset button. Right. So I look at Sam Gary coming out and talking and I'm like, man, the guy's getting straight A's. He's a, he's a college golfer. But he almost killed himself, like, twice last year. Mm -hmm. I mean, even after he came out, he thought about then killing himself. I, I just love stories like that. So Sam is like this hero to me. And he's I'm 54, and he's 19, and I text him almost every week. How you doing, Sam? You know, and Mr. Johnston, I'm doing good. Dude, quit calling me Mr. Johnston. I'm, I'm not Ian's dad. I'm Jeff, you know? Yeah. But 
and, and I tell you what, little stories like that is the piece of the puzzle for me. That that keeps me going. Is that you know, there's a, people look at me as being courageous, telling telling my story. I, I I'm courageous, but I don't think you would be any different if something like that happened to you. And Sam Gary's, I mean, heck, Kenyon at 19, if I was considering suicide, the last thing I would have done is be telling people. Right. Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. But yeah, it is. It's man. It, there's things going on with kids. Um, the outside is not always what as it appears. You know, we talk about that a lot mm-hmm. with people with the big cars or big houses and fancy cars. And, you know, behind the scenes, they're going broke, you know, uh, for a closure right. and things like that. So you can't ever judge a book by, book by its cover. I kind of like your cover, though, for your book. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, um, but yeah, I do like that. Hey, you, one thing I was going to ask you, do, do you think there's a difference between happiness and peace? You know, finding happiness or finding peace. What, what's what's the... What's the difference, I guess, philosophically for you? Yeah, for me, um, I can be happy, you know, that um, my, you know, let's take it for sports. I can be happy that McKenna's team won the game, but I am, am I at peace at how she played? You know, she might have had one point and four rebounds and five turnovers, but the team won. So I'm happy for the team, but I'm at, am I at peace with what she did on the and so that's kind right. of a term I can put it in. And, like, you know, for her, I always tell her, she's like, well, Dad, I didn't do this. I was like, but, honey, I go, you got plenty of time to develop. Look at your brothers. You know, I've been, you know what I'm saying? So right. I think there is a right. difference between right. happiness and, and peace. I think happiness is, is um, you know, is um, very, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of that short, that, sh- that quick fix. Happiness is that quick fix. Right. Peace is, 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 long, is, is over the long term, regardless of what happened regardless of what decisions that I make, am I going to be able, am I going to be at peace? Am I going to be able to close my eyes, you know, feeling good about where I am in my life with my family, with my friends based on this decision or this that happens. And if I can, if I can say that, then, then I'm good. And that's where I'm at now, man. I think, um, 2020 with everything that's happened, um, we are definitely blessed as a family, um, blessed to have friends like you and to be able to help you with your cause. But, yeah, I think there's a definite difference between happiness and peace. And, um, I think peace is hard to get to, but it, and you have to take a long look in the mirror and reevaluate yourself to really find it. And, um, yeah, hopefully that makes a little sense. No, actually, we didn't rehearse that, but that is exactly the answer I would have given. Happiness to me is a very short, emotive uh, place where you buy a car or you buy a, buy a phone and, and you're happy. Peace is a state of mind. It's It's a... It's a level of, of um, comfort that you reach with yourself. And I will tell you, you know, you know me for my most of my career. There was Johnston who was very interested in how, what color his cufflinks were and, and then his Italian shoes. And, you know, I mean, I, I got caught up into that lifestyle for a while. And then obviously losing Seth, things just kind of all of a sudden hit me that, hey, you know what? The things I was chasing, uh, I, I, there was there was a there was, the hole got bigger. I, I, I it was like plugging a hole in the dam and it's kicking out more water. It's like, I wasn't getting anywhere. I kept buying things and feeling like I was successful and premier was growing and making more money, but something was missing inside of me. And it had to take, you know, had to take the loss of a child to make me realize that, you know, I better get my shit together. Mm -hmm. So I quit drinking pretty much went vegan in my diet. I, I, I started reading obsessively, just things that I, that wanted to challenge myself, you know? And, um, I don't know. I just I feel emotionally and spiritually I'm in a much better place than I was before Seth died. But I hate to say it that it took his death to put me there. 
And what I'm trying to teach people is that don't wait for somebody close to you to die to find what Jeff Johnston found now. There are ways to find that before people die. And, and you've, got, you've got to find ways to just knock yourself back, break down the, the barriers that you put up, and find ways to keep learning. And that, that's, that's what I want to do with my life. And, and I know you're the same way. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, um, people look at, for, we'll look at this for silver linings. You know, I feel, and I've told you this, that I feel Seth is, is working in your life this way and he's he's helping you touch other people and that's the you know that's the faith-based spirituality Kenyan coming through yeah. us is that you know through his loss he's saying okay dad I'm 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 going to help you save people I'm going to I'm going right. to make my life mean something uh even though um you know people will look at it and question it or this that or the other thing He's, he's working. He's working through you. And um, like I said, I, I know you have a purpose and, and your meditation and your light or whatever that's guiding you. I call it something different. But uh, you and I are it, you, you and I are uh, always on the same page, my man. Yeah, I, I got to the point now where I don't I don't really care what people call it if it works. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I wrote a blog on, on alcoholism and, and trying to get people to quit using the word sober and don't go to meetings and find all these ways to do this internally. And I had a few people reach out to me saying, you know, Jeff, you're, you're insane, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Hey dude, whatever I can do to get you to quit drinking, then call me what you want. But if you quit drinking, then I win. Yep. You know, isn't that, isn't that the objective? I guess what I'll do is wrap this up. We've reached an hour and, uh, you know, again, I appreciate this immensely, but I want to ask you what you think about the concept of living in the moment. Um, you know, I know for me, I, I believe it so much that I actually have a tattoo mm -hmm. that I got that that that, that uh, subscribes to the living in the moment philosophy that, you know, the, the past doesn't really exist unless you allow it, unless you go back there and, and live in those sad memories. And so when I go in the past, I try to find the good memories. But I primarily live in the moment. So like right this moment, you and I are having a super conversation. And that is what I value right now in my life is this opportunity to have this conversation with you. I'm not even thinking about tomorrow yet. Mm -hmm. I, I want to get there first. Do you, do you see yourself living that philosophy where you're just really zoned in on living in the moment? All the time. You know, Michelle and I talk about being present all the time, whether right. that's, um, you know, with, with, with you talking about this and obviously we'll go and do different things out, you know, being present for our kids. Absolutely, man. It, it's about taking in the beauty that is that moment, regardless of, of where you're at. Um, whether you're scuba diving with Roman somewhere, or you're on a golf course with Ian. I'm watching Chris and Keegan play at Iowa or McKenna play for Prairie. Um, Michelle and I talk about that every day. It's important to be present and in the moment because we don't know. We might not have, you know, tomorrow. So um, that's, that's definitely a great mantra to live by. Well, that's a good way to end the show. But uh, no, I just want to tell you, I love you guys. Uh, the Murrays are family to us, and um, I, I'm enjoying watching your kids kind of, kind of develop their own personalities. And it's 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 extremely fun because I remember our vacations in Minnesota when we had the talent show. <laughs> we got to bring those videotapes out. You know, the kids are just. They're at that precious age that you just want to put in a bottle and have forever. Oh, but I, I'm actually I'm enjoying the the age they're at now, and uh, it's been an honor to call you a friend. And um, 
We're we're just getting started, yeah. you know. Hey man, we got ransom pictures, or we got uh we got blackmail pictures from from those days. <laughs> <laughs> we do, we do. <laughs> but yeah, uh, no man. I oh. always always here for you, brother. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, keep living undeterred, and um, I appreciate what you're doing, and uh, you're an inspiration to me, and uh, um, and go Hawks, right? Yep. Prairie and, and go and go Yokes. Yep. Prairie Hawks, Yokes. Iowa Hawkeyes, <laughs> all that good stuff. All right, man. Have a good night. Great talking with you, Kenyon. Take care, man. Bye, brother.